Well, I would uh, ask you to look on your papers if you have them. We do have them. There are some in the back, some in the front, just as usual. If you'd like to grab one, um, we can make that happen. Ben Andrew will be happy to grab you one. He's uh, uh, taking request. So we are going to begin in Genesis 42. We're going to cover a few chapters. It's always difficult when you're covering a, a few different chapters to know exactly... Uh, what all to read when we're trying to cover so much narrative, but see if we can't figure out how to do our best here. As we look at Genesis 42, we might read the greater portion of Genesis 42. In this little scene of Joseph's life, we're, we're nearly led to expect some really great and satisfying and delicious poetic justice. Joseph, of course, his brothers have come. Uh, they've come begging. They need, um, they need uh, <clears throat> food, and Joseph has it. Uh, he has become a powerful man, and he's, he seems poised to exact his revenge against his evil brothers. And by the way, they did act evilly. I mean, if he were to, if he were to enact some kind of revenge on it, there would be a lot of folks who would say, well, uh, they got what was coming to them, right? But of course, as uh, actually kind of dovetailing with, with what we talked about this morning. Uh, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. God has a greater purpose in this whole story. And that greater purpose is not to show us a, a, a scenario of Joseph getting even with his brothers. God desires to show us something a little more powerful than that. Uh, instead... Joseph, uh, Joseph has become powerful at a time and at a place where he could wield his power to get even, but instead he is shown to be a Christ figure by how he reacts. Remember we talked about what a type is. It's a shadow, and Christ is the reality. Here Joseph is the shadow. He's the type. He's the figure um, of, of what is to come. So a prophecy fulfilled. A prophecy fulfilled and a guilt Remember, let's read Genesis 42 together. It begins this way. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. If you skip down to verse 6, it says this. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him. Now, isn't that interesting? Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but, they treated, uh, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, No, my Lord. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. And he said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the son of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. 
By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested whether there's truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where... Where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for your famine, uh, grain for the famine for your, of your households, and bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, so we're led to believe perhaps while they're traveling, they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why the distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of the sack. And he said to his brothers, My money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. And, and their hearts uh, failed them. And they turned, trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? So again, we see they can't help but interpret what's happening to them through the lens of their former sin. Former sin is ever on their minds. They came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan and told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies. But we said to him, We are honest men. We have never been spies. We are twelve brothers, the sons of our father. And, he, and basically the, the next few verses is them recounting to their father what happened. Verse 35. And as they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. When they left their father, they saw the bundles of money. They were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Sounds like a man who's wanting some redemption, doesn't it? <clears throat> Put him in, it, in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you. For his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you were to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. So, a prophecy fulfilled and a guilt remembered. It says in verse 6, And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him. Of course, this recalls the dreams that Joseph himself had in Genesis 37. Remember when it says this? But when he told this dream to his father, the, you know, the dream of the sheaves bowing down, right? When he told it to his father and to his brothers, the father, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow ourselves down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept his saying in mind. Here's what this demonstrates. It demonstrates that even this dream, which at the time seemed conceited, 
I mean, his parents were not willing to receive it. It seemed very conceited at the time. Even this dream was from God. And God was moving through the life of Joseph. He's moving through the young boy, even though they didn't want to hear it. Here's the irony in the story. The brothers don't even know that the dream has come true yet. They have themselves bowed down before Joseph, and they don't even know that they have fulfilled a prophecy. They don't even know who Joseph is. They're being used of God. They're being used in His grand plan to show that God Himself is true, and they are none the wiser. So let this be a lesson. God has called us to obedience. We don't even know when we are being used of God for His glory. Sometimes God uses our moments of humiliation and despair, but God will always get His glory. So, let's trust Him. Let's trust in that. No matter what we're going through, there is, there is a grand playwright behind the curtain. And he is getting glory for every scene and every act that plays out in your life, even if we may not learn how that is the case until we are with him in glory one day. Nothing is wasted. God is using all of our tears. He's using all of our joys to bring himself glory. Sometimes we get a picture of how and why here, and sometimes we don't. But the truth is, the, the application is that we should trust Him in the meantime. Then they said to one another, verses 21 and 22, they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the distress of his soul. And when he begged us and we did not listen, that is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them. Remember, he was the one who tried to get them to modify their sin. Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? You did not listen. I think, I, th- I think this is an example of Reuben misremembering exactly how he acted in the, in the situation and maybe, maybe reading a little bit extra righteousness into himself, right? Back in the day, we were probably all tempted to do that. Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy, but you did not listen? So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. It bears repeating... I know I've said it before, but all these years later, they remember their sin. Their guilt is the only lens through which they can view their lives at this point. It's like a, it's like a, a pair of tinted or colored glasses that makes us see everything through this, one, through this one paradigm. Here's how we should apply this. We should handle our sins biblically. Don't buy into the lie that says that time, age, memory, or anything short of biblical reconciliation can take care of your old sins. The heaviness of remembering a past sin is, is really too much to bear. So, say 1 John 1.9 reminds us to keep a short record of our sins. God has told us in His Word that if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And why does God say it that way? Why does He say, if you confess your sins, I am faithful and just to forgive you? Wouldn't it have been just as easy for Him to say, if you confess your sins, I'll forgive you? No, God attaches His forgiveness to His own character. He wants to telegraph to us, 
that it's not about our sincerity or it's not about how, how, I don't know, how broken we are. I think we need to be broken. There has to be brokenness there. The Bible says that a, a, a broken and contrite heart, He will not turn away. But God says that His forgiveness is not based on anything other than His own character. That's how sure we can be that we are forgiven when we confess our sins. Because God does not move. God does not change. He's not feeling bad in the morning and feeling a little better in the afternoon. We have to catch Him at the right time of day if we're to get forgiveness. The reality is that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He connects His forgiveness to His character, which never changes. Also, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Ephesians 4.26 says... um, if I'm paraphrasing, you know, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Reconcile quickly with your adversary. Matthew 5, 25, Jesus, of course, uh, teaching this. And in Galatians 5, 15, But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. You know, we think we can take a bite here and a bite there. Next thing you know, we've, we've eaten one another alive. It says this in Psalm 32. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up and as by the heat of the summer, Selah. But I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And we see a couple of chapters later. Of course, I would certainly invite you to read Genesis uh, 43 and 44. But I I have to say, I want to make one comment on Genesis 43. The first couple of verses says this. Now the famine was severe in the land. So actually, if you you render that in a very literal and wooden way, it says that the famine was heavy. It's a heavy famine. Interesting phrase, phrase there. The famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. Desperation has set in, right? And God is using the circumstances. Joseph is leveraging the circumstances. He knows that because of the hunger, they're going to be driven to desperation. They're going to have to return. They're going to have to return for the brother that's there in captivity. Um, Genesis 45, though, um, many of you may know the the story that uh, that comes in the in the middle. Joseph continues to kind of toy with his brothers. They they keep finding silver in their sacks. They keep getting put in these really awkward uh, positions. Of course, Joseph he recognizes his brothers. He's trying to put them on the spot. At one point in Genesis chapter 43. Joseph has to run out of the room because his compassion grew warm for his brothers. And then finally he has to reveal his own identity to them. Now reading in Genesis 45. Let's pick up in verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it 
and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me there. For God sent me before you to preserve life. In other words, God sent me to save. For the famine has been in the land these two years. And there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you, for you are remnant on earth. And to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. We see God's sovereign hand all over this situation. He's a God who uses even the evil, the evil intentions of men to bring about His great purpose. Joseph highlights God's activity in his own life. Notice what he says here. Joseph still trusting in God. Still putting God first. Still putting himself second. He says, and Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to keep alive for you as many, for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Joseph, instead of looking, instead of reaching for revenge, instead of acting on any anger, he instead is remembering that God's purposes are better than even the evil plottings of his own brothers. Now here... Once again, Joseph is a Christ figure. Let's go through this and see how this comes to be clear. Joseph is shown to be a Christ figure again by how he obeys God, saves the people, and forgives those who wronged him. Those are three things that Jesus did. Of course, Joseph does them as a sinner. He's a, he's a mere human. Jesus does all of these perfectly and in a more full way. Joseph, again is the shadow, he's the type, he's the figure. Jesus is the reality. Jesus is the true and better Joseph. Joseph demonstrated obedience. When he could have sought revenge, he instead glorified God. He considered God's glory higher than his own personal satisfaction. You remember the temptation of Jesus? When Jesus could at that moment have called down a thousand angels... Jesus could have, in a sense, in one sense, seized for himself the things that Satan offered. In one sense, though, he was perfect. He obeyed God at every point. His, his divine nature kept him from sin, of course. But where Joseph obeyed, we see a precursor to how Jesus always obeyed. Jesus was always perfect. And friends, we need that kind of Savior. We need a Savior who is spotless. Because if our Savior is not spotless, then there is no full remission of sins. So Joseph sets us up to look toward a Savior who will obey. Who will obey perfectly. Also, Joseph demonstrated obedience in an imperfect way. I'm sorry. Yeah, Joseph demonstrated obedience in an imperfect way. Jesus obeyed God perfectly so that those who are in Him are fully reconciled with God. 
Joseph, just like Jesus, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, right? Joseph had all this power, he had all this position, he had all this influence and all these resources, but he laid them aside in order to be obedient to God. In the same way, Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus humbled himself to be obedient to the Father. Joseph sets us up to look for a Savior who would be humble. Joseph saved the people that God sent him to save. He said, God sent me before you to preserve life. Even though the people that he was, that he was to save were the people who rejected him. Isn't that an interesting little parallel? The very people that put Joseph down in that pit, the very people that sold Joseph into slavery are the people that God intended for him to save. In the same way, the very people that God sent the Son to save were those who just a couple of days, or the very same day, shouted, crucify him. And then lastly, Joseph forgave his enemies. Just as Jesus asked the Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. So Joseph understood that God was using even the sinful intentions of men to carry out his own good plan and purpose. Jesus said, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Joseph says, Do not be afraid. Right? It was not you who sent me here, but God. Joseph sets us up to look for a Savior who will be humble, who will not take advantage of his position, and who will forgive uh, his people. Friends, this is good news for us because that kind of Savior is what we have in Jesus Christ. And he's enough. He is enough for us. I pray that we would be able to leave this place tonight giving God glory for not only sending Jesus, but for telling us, telegraphing to us all throughout the Old Testament of what kind of Savior to expect. And friends, we can also praise Him tonight because He opened our eyes to see Jesus for who He is. We could have been just like all of the Israelites who studied the Torah, studied the Old Testament far better than any of us probably ever will, and they missed Jesus too. But only by God's grace has He opened our eyes and we have seen Jesus for who He is. We have responded to Him. We have repented of our sins because of the work that God did in our hearts. Praise Him that He enabled you to see Him for who He is and not to miss Him. Amen. Friends, let's pray. And then we will respond uh, with one last song. Pray with me now. God, thank You for setting us up to see the Savior who would come. And Lord, we know in our sinful and fallen condition, we would be just right there with all of the, the, the citizens of Jerusalem who one day are shouting Hosanna in the highest and then three days later are shouting, crucify Him. Oh Lord, may that not be so of us. Thank You for opening the eyes of our hearts so that we might see who Your Son is. Thank You for keeping us uh, out of the darkness of our sin. Thank you for letting the veil fall so that we can be in Christ. Thank you for saving us through this Savior who is perfect, who is obedient, and who forgives. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and for His sake. Amen.